Death Triathlon Show 382. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Jim Vance. Jim is a San Diego-based coach, author and sports technology consultant, most well-known probably for his work with Ben Canute, who was second at the Ironman 703 World Championships in 2022 and in 2017. Uh, but Jim has a lot of strings to his bow and uh, we talk about that at the beginning of the interview, so I won't uh, talk about all of the things that he's doing right now. But before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and free online tools, education and a patented sweat test. You can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for your carbohydrate, sodium and fluid intake. And you can book a free 20-minute video consultation to chat through your plan with the athlete support team. Uh, If you are a salty sweater, their highly concentrated electrolytes uh, can be a godsend and their gels are really, really tasty and it's easy to consume them in large quantities. You can get 15% off your first order by using the code TTS23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer is a unique dryland swim trainer that allows you to improve your technique, power and swim training consistency. It is a perfect tool to complement your pool and open water swimming as it allows you to do very specific power and technique work, including working your catch and your core activation and it makes it easier to stay consistent even when you can't go to the pool you can try the senate risk-free for up to 30 days so if you don't love it just send it back get a special bundle including the swim bench and a bunch of senate training plans and on-demand workouts on senatesuinter.com forward slash tts now without any further ado here's my interview with jim vance welcome to that triathlon show jim how are you doing today uh, wonderful michael thanks for having me it's a pleasure. Uh, can we start with an introduction? Uh, tell the audience more about who you are. Sure. Uh, I think I'm probably most known as Ben Knut's coach over the past, geez, six, almost seven years, ever since the Rio Olympic Games after that. Um, so with his successes, I'm probably also known uh, as the guy who wrote Run With Power, Triathlon 2.0, and uh, co-edited Triathlon Science with Joe Friel. So, yeah, that's I, I did have a brief professional racing career, uh, but uh, kind of stepped away from that. I'd gone 837 for Ironman, and, but uh, coaching was really my passion, teaching. I'm a teacher by trade. And, uh, yeah, so uh, that's kind of where I got into, uh, into coaching, just from my love of teaching. And then, yeah, and I also uh, consult with companies uh, that – bring technology into endurance sports um probably my biggest customer is today's plan mm, sure when did you get into coaching and transition into that from your racing career sure uh you know what believe it or not i was coaching even in college um whether it was little middle school cross country and track and field to middle school basketball um into high school cross country into uh high school track uh, and then I kind of had, uh, you know, I was a runner at the University of Nebraska. I was a distance runner, uh, cross country, indoors. I ran the mile and outdoors. I was a steeplechaser. So I still had a lot of competitive fire, kind of stepped away from coaching as a focus. And um, by the time I had graduated from Nebraska, I was teaching in schools and just training on my own and doing some racing and kind of got into triathlon and 
very quickly ascended into the sport. One uh, was Xterra Amateur National or Xterra Amateur World Champion in Maui in 2004. And then 2005, I was ITU Age Group World Champion in 25, 29 men. And uh, when I started having that success, I kind of got off, you know, the offer to move to the Olympic Training Center here in the U.S. and train with some of the national team. And and that's really when things started to change. I I was kind of introduced to a lot of new technology. You know, uh, power meters were really hitting the market. Joe Friel was coaching me. He was re- introducing me to this new software, uh, Training Peaks, and all the things it could do. And so I was really learning at the front end. And then being a teacher, I started to realize, you know, I, I had a very good knowledge of how to use these tools and people were hiring me to learn. And it didn't take long. And I realized I was making more money coaching on the side than I was teaching. And I realized, why Why am I teaching? Um, so, uh, yeah, I kind of, and that's really when I left to start my professional career and thought, you know what, I'm going to build out this coaching business. And then after a few years of racing, I kind of said, you know what, I'm, I'm a little tired. And uh, I think I'm going to just focus on growing coaching and uh, started doing some camps around the world with Joe Friel in places like Mallorca and Tenerife and geez, uh, Switzerland, Barcelona. So it was, uh, I even did some a camp in Costa Rica. Uh, it was just, uh, there was a lot of uh, cool opportunities and, and I was meeting a lot of athletes and uh, just growing, growing a coaching business at that point. And uh, kind of in all those experiences and the questions athletes would ask me, I realized, you know what, I need to study and write a book about this. So that's when I came up with Triathlon 2.0, which became the book that basically walks athletes uh, and helps coaches, uh, but takes these complex tools and makes them simple. So uh, a simple way that I describe Triathlon 2.0 is it's a book that uh, basically teaches an athlete uh, how to use a power meter and a GPS and heart rate monitor uh, to, to accomplish their goals based on, well, to train for 70.3 or Ironman based on their age, their gender, or, and their goals. So obviously if you're a, you're a 40 year old male who wants to qualify for the Ironman world championships in Kona, you know, the standard of what you need to reach in training is, is a lot higher than say, say, you know, a 70 year old male who just wants to finish an Ironman. So, really, or a female who's 24 years old who wants to qualify or just finish their first half Ironman. So I helped kind of bring some numbers to it and really start to form like, hey, this is what, this, these are the standards that it takes. And I could uh, provide that guidance to athletes and then use that also as kind of my roadmap for what I needed athletes to be able to do uh, to accomplish their goals. Yeah, no, that, that's really helpful information uh, for mm-hmm. sure. And uh, that book is sitting behind me in my in my shelf, along with oh. Triathlon Science as well. Um, so, yeah, one more question on your coaching. Uh, on your website, it says that you are coaching uh, some a, a junior squad, development squad in in San Diego. San Diego is that still correct? And also that you're the varsity swim coach at uh, Coronado High, High School. Yes, I was. I actually probably need to update my bio there on my website. Uh, I actually stopped coaching Coronado High School in 2019. Uh, things were just getting too busy with Canute and opportunities that I felt that I probably could not um, could not de- devote the time required to run a successful program. 
you know, I had about 50, 60 swimmers at that high school and it was a very, very good program, very strong historically as well in water polo. I think that high school alone has produced three Olympians in water polo, just to give you an idea. So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great program, but I had to step away because of travel and things. And then of course, uh, the pandemic hit and that, you know, (laughs) that kind of changed that a little bit, but, um, there was that. And then, uh, on the junior program, you know, COVID really did a number on that. It made it very difficult to continue, especially here in the U S I don't know how many coaches or listeners, you know, can relate to this, but here there was so much, and I live in San Diego, California. Um, there were so many pool, pool, uh, policies that changed with COVID. You couldn't have so many people on deck or in a lane or so that, so swim teams around the, around the whole area changed, had to totally adjust their swim schedules and it became very difficult to, uh, to coordinate triathlon practice because I, I had athletes from all over. So multiple different swim programs and it really became tough to, to continue with that. So I really just focused on a few high level juniors and really working with them. So, uh, you know, one was one, I think finished fifth at the junior national championships last year here in the U S and another, uh, Another, another female, she went on, she's in uh, NCAA try at one of the power five programs. So uh, that's really where I turned my focus. And, and to be honest, I think a lot of listeners could probably relate to this. I'm, I'm a father. I have two sons. Uh, they're now 11. And uh, this Saturday, my other son will turn eight. So, uh, you know, I've <laughs> triathlon is a big commitment. And I kind of was to a point where I'm like, you know what? Uh, I want to kind of spend some time with my children, not other people's children <laughs> and uh, go to soccer games and go skiing and things like that. So I've kind of stepped away a bit from uh, the junior triathlon world. I'm still, I'm still uh, very much have a, have a finger on the pulse because I have a lot of uh, peers in that area. Um, so I'm still readily involved and I'm not against restarting it, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. i now I now I actually spend more of my time focusing on kind of that next level those those Olympic hopefuls. I spent a month in Europe this past summer. Uh, all of June, I was with eight athletes, um, two of which were directly my athletes. Six others were were uh, coached by others, um, but I was there to support. We we went to Coimbra, Portugal, uh, Kitzbühel, Austria, and finished with uh, the big Conti Cup in uh, Holton in the Netherlands. So we had a, we had a great camp and it was, uh, it was a great experience, but, um, yeah. And that's also one of the reasons why I had to step away from junior racing, just time away. It's hard. That's the meat of the junior season right there in the United States. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a transition time for me with uh, my business and what I'm doing, but, you know, still, uh, still loving where it's going. And of course, you know, the technology side, those opportunities keep, keep knocking at my door. And, uh, it's great to be able to, uh, put some effort into those that I think, the you know, with companies that are doing some really cool stuff, you know, yeah. even companies like stride or which who I haven't worked for, for a while, but polar, um, uh, obviously I said today's plan. And then, then there's some other new and upcoming technologies that I'm not allowed to talk about publicly, but they're, it's really cool. It's a great time. Mm, yeah no definitely it sounds like you have a, a a lot of things going on so i can understand <laughs> stepping away from some of the responsibilities um let's discuss your coaching philosophy a bit if you start by just giving a, a broad overview of um yeah how, how you approach coaching 
Sure. So the very first premise that I always start with with an athlete, and it doesn't matter if they're elite or somebody that's just, you know, trying endurance sport for the first time, uh, you always have to start with the end in mind. What is the goal? What is it we're really trying to accomplish? Um, when, when you sit down and you start building things out, and I go back to Triathlon 2.0, uh, that book, it was about what's your age, your gender, and your goals, because the demands that you need to reach are based upon those three, three things, you know, how old you are, what your gender is, and what's, what is your goal? Because, you know, that, that determines the population that you're, that you're going against to be able to achieve your goals. So obviously, if you're just someone who wants to lose some weight, be healthy, uh, get some stress relief, then I'm probably going to train you a lot differently than someone who says, hey, I want to try to qualify for the Ironman World Championships. If I want to try to win a race, if I want to, you know, I want to be an elite world champion, those those things are all different. So you always have to start first and foremost with the goals and, you know, the end goal in mind. And then I kind of just work backwards from there. Where are we right now? And how does that journey look? What's that roadmap to that goal? Do we have enough time to accomplish that goal? Are we really realistic about what we can do? And then I try to build things slowly. Um, You know, even especially with the idea of the end in mind, I always believe that if an athlete can come to the start line healthy, happy, and excited to race, then I've done my job. That's, that's just, to me, that's the most important thing because I can write the most perfect training in the world and it could be, it could be exactly what they need to do to achieve their goals. But if they don't show up to the start line, healthy, happy, and excited about it, then they're never going to perform to their potential. They just aren't. Um, you know, I, I see it and I've, I've told athletes and coaches this, if I can peek into the minds of every athlete on a starting line and just listen to their internal dialogue, I can tell you who's going to do well and who isn't. I really can. It really does come down to that. So I'm a firm believer in that. And so I do whatever I can to make sure that that happens. And, you know, that journey is different for every athlete because of life demands. You know, some people, you know, obviously a Ben Canute, he, you know, he doesn't have a job that he has to balance. Now, maybe he has some contracts and things like that that are stressors, but for the most part, his job is just training and racing, you know. Now, that's even changed as his life has changed as he's gotten married and now had his second child. So his world's changed a bit. Um, take take someone who's maybe retired and racing and maybe they were wealthy, retired early and their kids are off and they're an empty nesters and you know, their demands are a little bit different uh, that they can withstand. So you have to really learn the person and you have to understand what their goals are, how committed they are to their goals. And that kind of builds out that process. But if I, I find that if I, if I do things right, then what I've probably done is I've progressed training and timed it perfectly to a date on the calendar. And that's, that, you know, I've said that that really is the hardest thing in all of sports to do. Pick a day on the calendar and say on this day right here, we are going to show up and we're going to be fitter, faster, better than ever. And we're going to express it and execute it. That is the biggest challenge in sports. I don't care if it's the NBA, the NFL, 
uh, you know, marathon running, triathlon, track, whatever. That's the toughest thing to do in sport. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the part I really enjoy. What does it take to achieve that, that peak on that one day on the calendar and, and on the flip side, if, if it doesn't happen, what are the likely things that have gone wrong? Sure. Well, I think everybody on this podcast listening would probably say that injury is usually the number one thing. And so I have a very, very strict philosophy that I'm doing everything in my power to reduce injury, uh, reduce injury risk in the training that we do. So I'm, I progress slower than probably some coaches. Um, I, I definitely try to be patient. Um, and then I, I look for ways within that to, to reduce injury risk. Uh, I'm a big believer in run walk. Um, people may, may not believe this, but Ben Canute does a lot of run walking, uh, inserting walk breaks just to, just to reduce that injury risk. So we can handle that run volume that much better. Same reason why, you know, an athlete who's training for a 10 K doesn't go out and just race a hard 10 K every time they have a key session. That's not what they do. What do they do? They, they fractionalize it and it's because then that load becomes something that they can tolerate and get better at. Well, it's the same thing with easier running. You can do a bit more volume too with an athlete. If you insert walk breaks and then you can keep them healthy. And then because you kept them healthy, then you keep them consistent because you've kept them consistent. They build fitness because they're building fitness. They're having success in the key sessions because they're having success in the key sessions. They're enjoying the training journey. Because they're enjoying the training journey, they're excited and confident for the race by the time they get to the start line. And that's the key. And it really doesn't change. That philosophy and that approach does not change for me, whether it's Ben Canute or, you know, uh, uh, you know, a stay-at-home mom who, who just wants to finish, a, you know, a 70.3 who hires me. So the, that to me is, is the core basis of my philosophy and methodology. And the rest is just the specifics in between of how we structure that, but always thinking, okay, if this is where I'm at, what's the next little step I can take that still gives me time to get them to where they need to be. Related to that uh, progression and progressing more slowly, more patiently, uh, I saw a fairly old blog post that you wrote on your website, but it was the most recent one, I think from 2018. It was the two-day rule that uh, you described. So can you explain that? Is that something that you would still say that, yep, I've, I follow this principle and uh, yeah, share with the listeners listeners what it is and why, why it might be useful for them? Sure. I absolutely follow that principle still. In fact, if if anything else, it's it's become a bigger bigger belief for me because I've seen it work so well. Um, so going back to the idea of consistent training and, and, uh, success and, and progression, you want to progress in a way where the athlete is not going to peak too early. Cause remember, I go back to it, peaking on the day, choosing the day on the calendar. What you really want to do is you want to make sure you have a successful journey all the way up into that date. So, and the two day rule just kind of gave me a check, like a checkpoint, like a way to verify that I'm actually doing that uh, successfully for the athlete and setting them up for success. And the two day rule basically says, if I need to give you more than two days of recovery, I'm probably giving you too much. 
if I give you two light days and light days and recovery are relative to every athlete, some athlete might need a full day off there and, and maybe like a third, 20, 30 minute run and a 30 minute spin or something, just something to shake loose. Some athletes can maybe do an hour and a half, two hours of training each of those days. As long as it's super easy, they're going to, that's, that's a huge break on them. But in general, two days, very light. And if we do that, then the third day should be a home run. If we come in and that third day should be a, a, a specific workout relative to the work that we've been doing and what we're, where we're trying to go, that third day should be a home run. It should go excellent. And if it doesn't, then that athlete is carrying too much fatigue. And that means the load that I'm progressing them with is too much. So I need to either slow down or step back uh, in terms of uh, what load I currently have them under and have planned for them for the future. And that's that that rule has done wonders for me. Um, you know, I I've heard I've heard a lot of coaches say, oh, you do a two week up, one week down, three week up, one week down. I don't believe in that. I'm absolutely no. If you need if you need three days of recovery or more, you're actually losing fitness. So why would you do all that work to have to lose some of it to restart? It's like I don't believe in three steps forward, two steps back. No, <laughs> like I believe in two steps forward, two more steps forward, two more steps forward. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's what I want with an athlete. So yeah, that two day rule has just become a, a great principle and check-in point for me. And, and also I, I find I don't waste time. You know, I don't overrest athletes that way and we can, we can consistently improve. Um, and yeah, I also find that athletes, athletes start to believe in it. And then when they're successful on that third day, then they start to believe in the training more and they see like, wow, this is really working. Like I am getting fitter. And that builds that confidence that builds that enjoyment of training. You, you shows, you show me someone that's training a lot that isn't improving. I'll show you someone who's really not enjoying themselves. Mm, yeah no that's really fascinating and and uh and i think makes a whole lot of sense how often would you uh incorporate that in in the program or is it more on demand or is it based on you feeling that okay now we just need to check in that things are going in the right direction how how does that work that's a great question the and it really kind of comes back to that individual and the individual journey um, you know, uh, the things I can do with Canute are a lot different than say the person that has to do, you know, work a m Monday through Friday job, um, you know, nine to five. So the way I would structure training, you know, like Canute, I might do a 10 day, 12 day, 14 day cycle. Um, I might do a, uh, you know, whatever, but with, with some of these age groupers, you know, you kind of have to work within their world. So I would time it based upon really learning what that stress and recovery cycle is for them. And if I start to notice, especially like there's a, there's a point here where I've, I've kind of suddenly missed on the stress and recovery, especially if I'm, if I'm taking toll of what's going on in their world outside of training, that generally gives me the opportunity to, to know and understand, okay, did they fail at this workout because of, the training was too much. Like I progressed, I took too big of a next step or I didn't give them enough recovery. Or is it something that, that has nothing to do with training? They, they're stressed from their job. They got into a fight with their spouse. They, 
Um, you know, they have, they have arguments with their, with their children or just they're moving. Who knows that we all have lots of stressors that we could claim, but the basic idea there though is, okay, what is the pattern and that cycle for this athlete? You have to learn that individually in the athlete in terms of stress and recovery back to where they were. So that really determines how then once I, once I've got that down and I learned that, that determines pretty much the lengths of cycles that I use. So a common one might be a 14 day cycle that ends with a, uh, ends or starts with a, with a very light day. And obviously I'll sprinkle in a few more in there, but you know, I'm, I try to be, I try to really learn an athlete's uh, world and life stressors and work around that. But, and then once, once you kind of understand that, you know, using that two day rule, uh, that, okay, this athlete needs, uh, you know, I need to adjust what I'm doing because the two day rule tells me that, Hey, they've, they're, they're clearly under too much load, or maybe the two day rule confirms, no, we're all good. Let's continue. So if I've got some designed block, I'm probably going to throw in a two-day recovery after that block. And then when we start the next block, it should start off really well. Um, if it's uh, if it's an athlete that is, uh, you know, like a like a Canute, um, I, I've gotten into some trouble in the past with going more to recovery on demand with him. So I do definitely try to try to have set blocks, block periods of rest now. So he's probably a little more finite with where some of the other athletes I'm, I'm maybe uh, a little more flexible with. Uh, I think part of it too is, and I go back to it. If I'm seeing athletes have success on a consistent basis, generally a key session, not going well, as a clear sign, like, okay, they need two days of rest. That's where the on-demand part would come. Like, okay, time to switch it. This should have gone a lot better. It didn't. Okay, we need to reset. Okay, let's try it again in three days. So we get that two days light. They'll come back. They'll hit it again on the third day. And if it goes a lot better, great. If it's really not very good or not what we expect uh, in terms of quality, then we generally need to recognize that we've overdone it. And I, and I do want to stress just because I have a two day rule doesn't mean I'm always successful at hitting it. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the first thing it's, it's more, like I say, just that, that checks and balances for me to know, Hey, stay in this, stay in this range. Don't overdo it. Just be patient, build slowly and use this to get feedback. And if you've screwed up, if that rule should tell you. And so and then you, then what you do is you luckily you can go back and fix it before you're in such a deep hole that you've you've kind of screwed the athlete over. Yeah, well, I mean that's the great thing that even if even if it even if if you messed up, it it will tell you so you can correct it. Whereas there are definitely situations where I think you mentioned traditional swim training as an example in that blog post where mm-hmm. it's just load after load after load, and the only check mark comes at the the main meat that they're preparing for and then the hope is that the big taper will solve everything so i think that mm-hmm. that's a pretty good contrasting uh picture uh to to what you just described um i want to go into some specifics around swim bike and run training so so if we with each of these disciplines we discuss your some key principles that you take uh in in each of these and then maybe some some examples example workouts or training structures so if we start with swim training uh what what are the things that you think are important there for triathletes 
Well, again, I'd go back to goals overall. Uh, what is the goal that we're actually trying to hit? And then I think you have to look at the athlete individually. So a, a perfect example is, you know, canoe can probably get away with two to three days of swimming most of the season. And he's still going to be, you know, if not first out of the water, very close to first. Um, we don't really necessarily have to do a lot. Now we choose our periods and times where we do accelerate the swim load a little bit just to make him feel a little bit sharper and get that little extra. But excuse me, for the most part, he's, he's not needing that. Then you take an athlete who, who absolutely has to work on it. That doesn't have that. I, I coach, uh, an up and coming pro, uh, named Annie Fuller and Annie is a heck of a runner and I'm very impressed with her cycling. Uh, we're, we're working on her swim. Well, she's swimming six days a week, sometimes twice a day. Uh, because we just have to, and she wants, she wants to try to make, uh, potentially the LA Olympic games. So clearly with her, I'm going to do more and I'm probably going to build a bit more of, of everything from technical to aerobic base to turnover to, to race fitness. I have to peak it like I, just like I would if she were an individual swimmer where a canoe, it's probably more, a lot of just maintenance work for most of the time. So it's, it's hard to say specifically like, Oh, this is always what I do. Um, and I'm, I'm a, I'm kind of a big believer in, if, if you take, if we take Annie as an example, because that's sure. probably more interesting because she sure. needs to improve, whereas <laughs> canoe doesn't what, and you have six days of swimming, just give a rough outline of what might those six days look like. Sure. Well, and <laughs> So then the next thing becomes, what's the time of year? Because the time of year. So a perfect example is she's she spent, she came off the World University Games in September. And she, she kind of came into the summer really hurt from her final track and field season in college, uh, at which she had a stress fracture, I want to say, in April. And, you know, yet she was racing in June with me in Portugal and Kitzbühel and Holton. <laughs> so uh tells you a little bit. And... So she wasn't really able to run much. She also had a few other injuries when she came to me the, through the summer. So what did we do? We, we shut down the time. We gave her two months off uh, after the World University Games and said, we don't want you to train at all. We just want you to really let your body rest and recover. And then, and then we started back with a, a, mostly a strength focus, believe it or not, uh, really rebuilding her body, specific exercises to address what she had going on that caused some of those injuries. And during that time, I really couldn't do anything in the pool of quality because the strength load that she was, she was under coming to the pool, even, even if it was the first workout of the day was just so much fatigue neurologically, neurologically peripherally that we couldn't do much. We just had to stick with technical, easy swimming, try to, try to just, uh, you know, work on her catch, her rhythm, her timing. That's really it. If I tried to do anything, Anything really above aerobic intensity, if it wasn't, I mean, a 25-yard sprint was about the most I could give her. Um, you know, I had to be very careful. Now, as the season's worn on, we've reduced the the strength load. So, so strength was the priority back then because we just had to rebuild her body in order to make sure that she could, she could stay healthy for the season. We wouldn't be dealing with these things. So now it's it's gone from the priority to about the second or third thing in the priority rankings. Swim has moved up a lot more. So now the training is a lot more 
a lot more technical skill, technical skill right at right at uh, two places. The first is her floor. How well is her technical ability when when stuff falls apart, when she's just really tired? How well can she technically stay and how can we improve that pace, the speeds at, 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 at the floor when she's just really fatigued? That's the first thing. The other one is the ceiling side. How well can we technically stay at the fastest you know, turnover that she can hold, especially given, given short course race, uh, races are very intense, require higher turnover. So turnover, ability to maintain good, good technique at high turnover, and then her ability to, to do the floor part. As we progress into the next part of the season, now I'm going to work in the middle of that a bit more, get a little, start to introduce a lot more race specificity. Um, but you can really only do probably for, for an athlete of, uh, you know, her, her caliber, probably only about two to three hard swims a week and three might be pushing it. So you really have to read it. So for example, when we go to the pool, one of the things I'm doing with her, uh, is, is in our, in our warmups, I'm having her do a little bit of high turnover work and I'm checking on, on the watch to see what are the turnovers at those quicker efforts where we're still warming up, but she's still got to turn it over for like maybe half of a length of a pool. And I can get some turnover things and see, okay, is she at 1.0 or faster for a stroke cycle? So if it takes that's a stroke cycle is the time from her when her hand enters the water out in front of her and it comes all the way back through through its cycle back to reentry in the front. If she's at 1.0 or faster, okay, I know that she's fresh enough that we can probably do a little bit more that day. If she's at 1.2, 1.4, we're in, she's carrying a lot of fatigue, and this is not going to be the day to probably do that. So we're even kind of working within those principles. I realize for a lot of people, they don't necessarily have a coach there that can adjust the whole training and the whole set to, to them and their warm up <laughs> and how good they are. But obviously with, with her goals, it's, it's a little bit different. But um, again, always looking for a way to assess where is the athlete at? What is, are, are we, are we connected in terms of timing and understanding of that stress and recovery cycle that they're ready for the next stressor or do they need more recovery? And that's, that's always what I'm trying to do. Um, and I tend to find if an athlete is tired, you're going to find it in the pool first and foremost. You're going to really see it, especially if they don't come from a swimming background um, initially. That's probably where you're going to see the fatigue at first. So, yeah, I'm always, I'm always looking at that and trying to understand, okay, what can I do today? And sometimes... I look at it and I think, okay, she's ready. And I want to do maybe three rounds of a set. And then I realize late in the second round, nope, that's all she can handle today. We're done. That's, there is no third round. We got in the work that we could. We got to back off. The turnover is not where it needs to be. Um, she's not able to hold the, the technical aspects that I'm really stressing for her. Um, then, then we're going to move on. So, you know, but compare that to like a Canute who he can, you know, there's a few technical things that maybe he needs once in a, once in a while, but for the most part, he can do it, and he's he's able to give me the feedback that he needs. Um, and he, I don't see him in person. Uh, he lives in Scottsdale area, Phoenix, and I'm in San Diego. So, uh, but we're we're in a lot of communication, and he knows he he and I have the same philosophies now, and uh, obviously we're on the same page of okay. When you come into a workout, if it's not going well, you know, what do we do? 
you know, what a, what's kind of the checklist of decisions that we have to kind of go through to form our form a decision. How would you, uh, how would things change if you coach an age grouper remotely in terms of the swimming? What are some typical principles that you have to apply in that scenario? Somebody swimming three, maximum four times a week and they, they still want to improve, but obviously they have a bit more of limited capacity due to life constraints. Sure. Well, again, I go back to the goal. I think, you know, you have to have an honest conversation with an athlete as a coach. What is it you really want to do? What is it you love about the sport? And I think what you'd find is a lot of them enjoy the social aspect of the sport as well. The ability to go on rides with friends and show up to a pool for a swim group. So I'm always looking at that. How how important is that to the athlete? Because again, I think if an athlete has, you know, dug them, you know, locked themselves in a, you know, in a room and trained entirely for, you know, by themselves, I don't, I don't think they're enjoying that journey most likely. So if they're, if they haven't enjoyed the journey, my goal of getting them to the start line, healthy, happy, excited to race uh, probably isn't going to happen. So I'm always trying to look at, okay, what does this athlete need to really be successful? And you have to be honest too. How much are you really going to be able to improve their swim? It's such a technical thing that if I'm not near them, if this is a one, you know, almost 100% remote relationship, you know, what are the resources around them that they have that we can utilize? And, you know, how does that affect their, their excitement of the sport, their enjoyment, their, uh, you know, their improvement? Um, some athletes, I think, train too much and need to back off. But, you know, or maybe it is, no, uh, coach, I really, I really just enjoy going on long rides with my friends. They're easy and things. Okay. Well, if that's important to you, then we probably need to put it up the ranking of priorities. So uh, some, some athletes, I can tell you, and I absolutely understand this because I'm one of them. I do not like to go to the pool and swim by myself. (laughs) I just don't like it. And I think it's because I wasn't a swimmer. I mean, I became a pretty darn good swimmer in the sport when I left. And obviously, you know, I've had a lot of success as a swim coach, which is, you know, one of the ironies of my world. Um, But like, I always like that feedback of, okay, someone's there next to me and I can use that as a barometer to know how I'm doing. Okay. Am I pushing too hard? Am I, wow, am I going faster than I expected? It's just, it's just more engaging to me personally when I swim with other people. So to me, that's, uh, that's something that I think a lot of athletes can relate to. And so if an athlete says, coach, I just like going to my master's three days a week. Okay, let's do that. You know, especially if it's not going to negatively affect their goals. But of course, if an athlete tells me, hey, I swim two minutes per hundred and I only go to the swim group and I, or I only swim by myself and I want to, I want to qualify for Kona. I'm going to be like, that's probably pretty hard unless we make some major changes to your swim approach. Uh, And that's, you know, those are the conversations you have to have. Mm. Anything else on swimming uh, or shall we move on to biking? I think we can move on to bike. Sure. Yep. Let's do it. So, well, I guess bike training key principles and even, even for run, I mean, I think we could probably even combine these and, and, and break them out uh, with other specifics, but the general the general approach here is you know I kind of go back to my overall approach of how I build things. 
Um, I also think like the more time you have, the less risk you can take in training. But then the sh- as that time window shortens, the risk that you take in training increases, which is why it's important in my, in my belief to not come into that, that risky period uh, with, uh, with any sort of injuries and that you've had good consistency. So really it's just a matter of, okay, again, how much time do we have? What are the things we're working on? What are the low hanging fruit with, with this athlete? Um, if some athletes, uh, you know, come to you and they're really strong riders, well, maybe, you know, I'm probably going to train them a little bit less. I'm maybe going to be real efficient. How many years of experience have they had in the sport? Um, you know, for example, I find athletes who come to me that have been racing Ironman for a while and have just plateaued. It's like, okay, well, I, I need to probably train you like a short course athlete for a little while just to bring a new stimulus in, change things and, and let's have a block of period of the season where maybe that's what we really focus on and maybe we can adjust the calendar, race calendar. Um, but always looking at, you know, what are new stimuluses that we can give them and, and leverage that, you know, that, that new stimulus response, that, that huge improvement curve that we see or adaptation curve and how that, how can we use that to our advantage in cycling, in running, you know, if an athlete's been, if an athlete's been riding in flat areas for the longest time, okay, can we send them to a place where there's a lot of climbs? you know, for, or change their routes or something of that nature. Uh, if, you know, if they're runners, uh, generally, you know, running takes a long time to improve a long time. And I think you have to, you have to be patient. Um, running probably causes the most injuries. So, you know, you can't just say, well, I'm a big volume coach and I believe in volume. Okay. Well, Great. So what, you, how long are you going to do volume for? What are you going to do when volume, you've kind of reached the edge? Do you just keep going until the athlete breaks down? That's probably not a winning strategy <laughs> for accomplishing many goals. Uh, when you, when you back off and you, and, and think, okay, well, no, we're just going to do intensity. Okay. Well, intensity for how long? You know, after about, after about six to eight weeks, an athlete's VO2 probably isn't going to respond very well. You're probably not going to raise their VO2 anymore. So now what? So all, but understanding that these are tools in your toolbox that you can use. This athlete comes to me and they've, they haven't really held anything over 30 miles a week. Well, yeah, an increase in volume will probably bring you some, some really quick, quick changes. Um, an athlete's been riding a bunch, uh, on their bike or I don't know, they've, they've been, they come from a running background. So they, maybe they only ride two days a week. Well, you can insert another ride in there. Um, one of the things I've I've found that really helps athletes, and it's kind of this this uh, eye opening moment for them, or this disbelief when I tell them is you don't need to do a long run every week. You really don't. <laughs> like especially the longer you've been in the sport, you don't need a long run every week. Uh, and people are like, no, but every Saturday I do this, and every Sunday I long run. It, it's like yeah, you don't, you don't need to do that. Like we can change it. Like you can just, if you've, if you've got that run base, we can just maintenance your long run. And, you know, if you're somebody who's been riding bikes for years, you probably don't need as much bike riding. Probably need a little more run training. Um, but again, you gotta be smart with that. So, 
everything I, I say again, it kind of goes back to what's the athlete, what's the goal, you know, and then learning them, what's their individuality, what's been their background. And, um, you know, so much of these coach, I guess th- I'm going to go on a little tangent here. I'm, I'm really changing a lot of what I'm trying to do as a coach, uh, in the space and do more with coach education. Um, my hope is I'm working on a lot of webinars and, uh, and, uh, courses because I have a very different approach I find than most coaches. And, uh, you know, I think the success I've had with Canute uh, was really based around a lot of those premises and these premises that I'm talking about. And so I think people uh, could learn something because I go to a lot of coach education things and I hear a lot of generalities. Oh, you generally want to do this. You want to do the two week build one week down or the three week uh, build one week down, you know, all of this stuff. And, and I just look at, I'm like, we're trying to tell people like the, how to coach instead of, Hey, use your, use your experience, use your judgment, take risk, learn, learn, learn what's different. Don't just follow this, this template. We, we tend to want to put athletes into a template instead of using our experience to create a template for that athlete. That's what we need to do. And it's like content without context, right? You, you've got to, you've got to be able to have and understand the context because the decisions that I make with Annie don't, would not make sense for Canute. The decisions I make with Canute would not make sense for, for an age grouper that I have necessarily. So to me, it really is about sharing more of the, Hey, here's a decision we made. And here's the context of the situation and here's the pro, you know, the process we followed and here's the result. So, cause that's really where you learn. Like I didn't, I didn't read the two day rule in a book. <laughs> I, I used the two day rule by experimenting. And then I found like, man, this really works. Especially if I line things up correctly, this, this thing really works. It's the lining up of things correctly that becomes the challenge because everyone's world is different. And that's, so that's really where, uh, like I said, I kind of went off on a tangent there about, about coach education, because I feel like, you know, the, the key principles and it is great. Um, but yeah, I think the, uh, like you, you know, specific examples of, of that, they're hard to come by, but that's, that's the gold for a coach. You know, I've, I've always, I've always wanted to see a conference and I'm thinking about starting one for myself where we take a coach who's, who's accomplished something and we get them up in front and they say, here's what we did. And here's how we did it. Here are the challenges we faced and here's how we beat them rather than, Hey, what is HRV and how can you use it with your athletes? It's like, no, like show me here. And then this coach may say, I was really big on HRV and HRV taught us, Hey, where we went over the top. Or I was big on resting heart rate, or I knew this athlete hit this when X happened, and we focused on this with this athlete, and and then you start to understand what those core beliefs are of that coach and how they view problems, um, and how you view problems, and where that difference is and the similarities are, and chances are the similarities really help you see where you're where you're on the right track, and the differences maybe show you either where you need to improve or where you're innovating in this space. And that's, so that's, that's my big overall, uh, bike training, run training principles, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's good. It, it does. I mean, it does sound like 
variation and thinking about what has been pre new stimuli, stimuli basically sounds like is, is one important aspect of it but instead of instead of digging deeper into that let's skip ahead a few questions based on what you said there with the case uh, studies because that's one of our questions discussing some specifics around ben Canute's training leading up to his second place at seven three worlds in 2022 mm-hmm. in in saint george so uh, can you talk about freely about that some yeah goals that you had challenges that you faced how how his training went what your focus points uh, were and and so on sure so to really i think understand what happened in 2022 with canute you have to go back a couple years and maybe even to the start uh when he and i sat down in kona in 2016 after the rio olympic games and we were talking over some coffee and you know, I asked him what his goals were. He was looking to to make a coaching change. I asked him what his goals were, and he said, "Jim, uh, I want to win a seventy point three world title, and I want to win an Olympic medal in the mixed relay at the Olympics." And at this point, the mixed relay hadn't even been announced yet, but we were pretty we were pretty firm in our belief that it was going to be in Tokyo, um, and certain enough, it did happen. So. I jokingly told him, why don't we go to the track and field world championships and try to win the hundred meter dash in the marathon? And <laughs> because we're really talking about an entirely different type of uh, stimulus and, and fitness, you know, the, the mixed relay is approximately maybe a 24 minute race somewhere in that range, plus or minus a couple minutes. Uh, I mean, probably minus, Twenty, um, I think, yeah. It depends on the course and things, but yeah, like transitions actually matter a lot. And things. So, well, yeah, in that 20 minute range versus a, you know, a 70.3 is going to be just under four hours, depending on the course. Um, so I, it was, this is really like, I go back to that, the, you know, the coach education part, the experimenting, I was, I was put in a position there where there, there was no, there was no template to follow for that. There was no, <laughs> hey, just do what these guys do over here. It's like I had to innovate and I had to figure out how could I do this. So I looked at things like conjugate sequence periodization. I looked at block periodization. I looked at uh, reverse periodization. I, I just tried to figure out and understand, okay, you know, how do I do this? And then you add in the complications of you have a race schedule that sometimes you don't control. Because based on points, where what races can you get into? What races can you not get into? You don't there and and mixed relays were not even you know based on qualification. They were all based on if if the panel voted you in. <laughs> so you, you, and sometimes you would show up to a to a race and the mixed relay would be the next day and you wouldn't even know if you were going to get to race it <laughs> or what leg you were doing. So I mean, there were so many challenges. I can just tell you. so I. So I really just adopted a philosophy of, you know what, I'm going to work on his volume for a little while, and then I'm going to get totally away from volume. I'm going to work on a lot more intensity, race-specific intensity for super sprint and things like that. And then I'm just going to kind of alternate those. And I'm just going to work through that. And I'm just going to progress those phases based upon how he's doing. What's What the work is within the phase, potentially how long those phases are, and I'm just stringing that out based upon how much time I have and where the race schedule comes. And once I get within, once I get within about six, six weeks, six, yeah, about six weeks of the 70.3 world championships, 
I just went all in on 70.3 worlds and just took a lot. Of, I take a lot of risk in training, but I'm there generally to monitor it very well. And I've, if I've done everything in, in, you know, correctly in the build up to there, I'm generally on point and well connected with the stress and recovery cycle of the athlete. Um, so, so fast forward to 2022, um, you know, the Olympics in Tokyo have happened, then did not make the team, unfortunately. And, but that basically closed that chapter in his racing career. And he said to me at the end of 2021, Jim, I, uh, I really want to focus on 70.3 and PTO and let's do that. And it's time, you know, the, the great thing here is we control our destiny. We're a lot more secure in our race calendar. He's like, so let's take a little more risk in training. And so we actually got away from the model that we had worked, <laughs> that we had perfected over these years and uh, went more to an entirely recovery on demand cycle. And it just didn't work. Uh, part of that was because it was COVID. He got COVID. Uh, his family got COVID. His wife got the flu, had to go into the hospital. And she she was pregnant at the time. There were just a lot of stressors, a lot of downtime. And it just, luckily, I think early in the year, you know, he, he finished well at Oceanside, finished right behind Brownlee, I believe, uh, Alistair Brownlee. And we thought, okay, well, we're still in a good spot. But he really lost a lot of base at that point in time because through that winter there with, uh, excuse me, with his, uh, with his sickness, family sickness, all those things, it was just too much. So by the, but by the time that happened, I tried to really throw more in on uh, more risky training as a whole. More instead of balancing things out with with focus periods, I pretty much went all in, and we we felt like, hey, we really needed to knock it out of the park at Chatt- Chattanooga, and we thought we were there, but it was clear <laughs> that race week he was just cooked, and it just did not work, and then. Uh, come to find out, he actually started to develop a pretty bad uh, sinus infection, and we thought it would be fine. He went to Alcatraz. That did not go well, and that's when we were like, okay. He got on some antibiotics, got through with that, and we just we had a very honest conversation that, okay, this has failed. <laughs> like This is not good. And so we said, let's let's go back to what worked with our focus periods, balance those. And that's really what we did. And and he started to see the improvements, even though the race results didn't really show it. I mean, when you're, when you're going up against that level of talent in the PTO, especially because he's a guy who generally races at the front of the race, it's, um, it's a whole different ballgame. If you're off by a few percent, it's, it's very noticeable. And that's what happened. So, but we kept we kept on the the plan the the, the phases the blocks. Um, he he kept seeing improvement every session. So despite the fact that the race results weren't really there, he still had confidence, and we knew. Um, and we were doing a lot of heat heat adaptation, trying to get ready for Dallas. We found we didn't didn't you know nail that well enough. But um, again, just kept getting better and better and better, and then suddenly. I think after Collins Cup, he pretty much went went to St. George and did about a four week camp, and you know, and in that four weeks, it was like everything came together, just everything. And I was like, "This is exactly 
what, you know, what I had hoped for. And yeah, we just, we were very quiet about it. We didn't tell anybody (laughs) and, uh, but he was extremely confident and yeah. And that's the thing. So one of the, one of the tricks I've used with athletes is when I, when I can tell an athlete comes to the start line, healthy, happy, and excited to race. And they're really, there's, there's an inner peace to them. They're not nervous about the race at all because it's not, it's not in doubt in, in their mind. They know that they're going to be successful. They have done everything possible to prepare themselves well. And when you have those types of athletes on the start line, they don't create failure. They don't sabotage themselves. And, and they go out and they execute and they express their fitness because they're following their plan because they're so confident in their preparation. And when you see that in an, in, in an individual, you can just tell. You can just, the way they walk, their mannerisms, they don't get too excited. They don't get, they never get down. They're positive. So what I have my athletes do when I see that is I ask them to write a letter to themselves. Why do you, you know, especially after the race, why did you know the race was going to go so well? And because this, 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 these, this is, this is who I am. It's like capture who you are in this moment in writing so that you can read it back to yourself at a later date. And with that, when you have that, you can, you can look at it and you can say, yes, that's me right here, right now. I am that same person or no, I'm not that person. Okay. Why not? What do we need to do to get you there? Because when that's you, you are, you are the best possible you there could be on the start line. And that's, so with him, I saw that again. I saw it in 2017. I saw it uh, a few times in 2017. I saw it in 2018. Um, I saw it in, even in 2019, I saw it. Now it didn't go well at Nice quite as well. He faded to 10th, but you know, he was fourth off the bike in Nice right behind Blumenfeld and, uh, you know, was, was there pretty well. Um, you know, and now suddenly I saw it in 2022. I thought, man, here we go. Like it's, it's going to go well. And that's why after, after St. George, we also decided, heck, let's, let's ride this fitness. Let's ride everything and throw our hat in the ring at Ironman Arizona. And there he goes, 751. Um, you know, that, and, you know, I got to give uh, props to Dan Plews. Uh, Dan's a great guy. Uh, I called him up and said, Hey, this is, this is what we think we're going to do. You have any tips for me? I got three weeks between the races. <laughs> and so he was great. Uh, and, you know, gave me a lot of good ideas, confirmed a lot of things I was doing that were correct. Just, Hey, just avoid this or that. And you'll, you should be good. He'll kill it. And certainly that's, that's how it worked out. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of been the year and how the training went. It was, it was, it was a shit show for about six months <laughs> and then, uh, we fixed it and, uh, yeah, showed that, uh, you know, our, our, you know, the templates and approach that we built out for him really does work. And I'm very excited to see, uh, how he carries this because if, if nothing else, his own confidence and self expectations have raised. Um, I can tell you, he's not afraid of anybody in the world. And that's, that's, uh, that's an exciting way to start 2023. Yeah, and that was one thing that was so exciting uh, watching that race. The way he wasn't wasn't afraid of going up against Blumenfeld uh, on the run, even when everybody else, everybody watching, pretty much was 
extremely surprised that that he he went out the way he did actually taking the lead and and uh yeah uh, running super strong but it made it made for a great race and and it gave him a great a really great result that was then backed up in arizona um in those four weeks in saint george leading up to the race uh what what did the training look like in terms of volume intensity key workouts and so on if you can go into some specifics on that sure so basically uh you know where i talk about we go in phases where we alternate some volume more aerobic efforts uh with more intensive efforts once we get inside that window it's it's everything is all in it's all race specific and above so uh, I shouldn't say all, obviously we have some recovery days. We have a few maintenance things we have to do. Um, but all the key sessions deal with making sure that we're, that we're prepared for, for this. I'm not, uh, you know, there's nothing that's off the table. Everything is on the table and we're prioritizing what we need to need to do to really peak on the day. Um, so probably, probably the one workout that, that Canute, um, always judges himself well with is a uh, is a four times 30 minutes with five minute recovery at uh, 70.3 watts um we know what he, if he can do that in that workout he can produce that on race day um especially if he can do that in the middle of training because i even take a little bit different tapering philosophy into a world championship i give him almost two weeks uh whereas during during the regular season i might only use our two-day rule mm-hmm. where okay if we have two days light and we should be able to hit this hit this 70.3 really well. And I think that's one of the reasons why you saw Canute probably be one of the most consistent guys in the world for so long. Because because we were able to do that, we were able to use that two-day rule. He and he believed in it and he knew that the process was pretty good. He was generally very successful on race day just with taking two days light going into like a B or C level race. Um you know, if it was uh, maybe one of those B plus, A minus races, we may take a, a full week. Um, but, you know, when we get into championship things, and that's that's always been the thing, too. Um, I've always said, okay, where are we? Where have we, you know, where have we come from? And where do we want to get to? And how can I produce a really good performance here, kind of in this pathway through the season, but still have – still have tools in the toolbox to go to, to continue building and progressing. So, you know, early on in his career, he was only getting ready for 70.3 races with only about 90 minutes of 70.3 bikes, bike work. You know, um, he was probably only doing about 50, 50 miles a week. Now he does 65 to 70 miles a week, you know, which should be about, what is that? 70 K something like that. So, um, so, you know, and you know, this year I'm going to try and get him maybe even a little more consistently at, you know, um, you know, a hundred, 120 K a week running. Um, well, and here's another thing I do things a little bit differently with him. Um, and I think a lot of athletes would benefit from this. I don't look at training from really a weekly standpoint. Yes. I use the miles per week as a whole to kind of understand, but, I generally try to take out 10 day samples. I try to look at a 10 day sample rather than a seven day sample. Cause obviously if I throw in a, a rest, a full recovery day that an athlete really needs, then that affects all the numbers that I look at. But if I look at a 10 day and I know that within, in, within every 10 days, I'm probably going to give him one rest day 
or one very light day, maybe probably even two within that, I get a much more consistent sampling. So when he's really doing well and really building his fitness in a 10 day block, he'll do about 40 hours of work. Um, and you know, I'll look at it that way, uh, in terms of hours of training in, in that 10 day block. Um, mm-hmm. you know, in a, if, and that would, like I say, that would include some of his rest days. So you're looking at about on average, about four hours of training a day, but obviously some will be more than that. So it's, yeah. um, yeah, that's, that's one of the ways I kind of look to say, okay, do I have the right, you know, the right thing? How does this 10 day period compare with the next 10 day? And then, okay, what are the, what are the steps that I'm going to, what am I going to do? Like, obviously, you know, once you start going over 40 hours in that 10 day block, you're risking a lot. So how do you manage the load within that 10 days or 14 days, whatever you're, you're looking at? Yeah. So when you have those, I guess, two weeks before you headed into the two week taper in St. George, how, and, and you say that in that period, you you really go all in on the on the race intensity what what does that mean in terms of the number of race specific workouts that are done is it is it one every day alternating through swimming cycling and running or no so i am i'm very much uh trying to trying to manage remember i kind of go back to get the athlete to the start line healthy happy excited confident for the race. Um, when, when I can do that, then I'm probably going to, to set them up for the most success. So the way that I get them to that point though, too, is I get them there by successful, consistent training. So I'm always asking myself, okay, where am I placing the key sessions? Am I giving that stress and recovery cycle enough time for this athlete that they're going to make sure that that next workout, that next key session is is a home run it's like clear progress yes check that box move on but after a little while athletes have checked so many boxes of, of accomplishment that wow and they see the fitness and boom it hits and they're like whoa i mean that's that's generally the thing when when an athlete is like looks looks at their watch or their bike computer or the clock on and the swim they're like whoa okay i did not expect that like that's really good. <laughs> it's like that's that's what I want. So it's definitely not every day, but it's understanding. Hey, here's what we want. We got to work on, and here's the next thing that we're going to work on. Um, you know, it, it every you know just because a session isn't race specific doesn't mean it doesn't serve a, a great purpose. Um, so so that's really. That's really it. I'm, I'm definitely trying to get the athlete to see like, okay, yes, these key sessions are important. We want to see the improvement. And then those days in between support our efforts to make those a success. Mm-hmm. And if, and if we do that right, then obviously uh, we continue to see that improvement and they come to the start line and it's a different them. Yeah, that makes sense. A couple of other uh training related things i wanted to ask about is first strength training which you mentioned a little bit in the example of annie and her swimming Uh, but yeah can you talk uh, generally around how you view strength training within the uh, triathletes preparation sure and by the way i'm sorry i did not uh i realize i probably didn't answer even your question specifically there so you did ask for like what did that look like um so let me give you an idea here 
This was October 13th. So the world championships were what? October 29th, I believe. Uh, yes. So yep, six, yep. 16 days out. Uh, ben did, um, Ben did repeats up snow Canyon, uh, in the morning. And what he did was he, oh man, what do we do here? I want to say it was two. We did two times, um, snow Canyon just so that he could have it. Uh, he actually did three times. And the first one was, I think controlled. And the next two, he was able to, he was allowed to go. Um, and so to give you an idea, so three times up snow Canyon, for those that have done it, first time he goes 14 and a half minutes and he goes at 386 watts, which is 5.4 watts per kilo. Uh, then he went, uh, he did the next one. So this now, these next two, he had the green light because there was three three efforts up. So I was thinking it would be about 45 minutes of work. Um, the next one, he did 13 and a half minutes at 416 watts, which is 5.8 watts per kilo. Um, and then the third one, he did uh, 13 minutes, 15 seconds, 412 at 5.7 watts per kilo. So a little bit less in watts, but shorter time. I, I don't know why that is, but still a really good effort. Um, you know, now that was just to really top it off. That's part of that even, even saying, hey, so we're going to not just do race specific, but we're going to even go above it just to give him that little bit extra and obviously that was on the course that was a key session of course we wanted him to know that climb uh really well so that was one and then he was doing all his intervals like that four by 30 minutes out on the course through the rollers really trying to just get it down um he did a lot of training on diagonal a lot of our tempo efforts on diagonal there just to know and understand the you know how hard was too hard up that up that climb because it's diagonal is at an angle. It has a really you know, steady incline. Um, he did a lot of it, just intervals up and down that just to, just to know it and, and get a feel for it. So um, everything was very specific in that regard, building his confidence, uh, his sense of pacing, um, you know, his sense of the course, everything. So, yeah, no, perfect. Thank you for that example. Sure. Oh yeah. So strength training, uh, if you can, give an overview of what, what your thoughts are around that. Sure. Sorry. Uh, well, first of all, again, I go back to what's the goal. Um, if somebody just wants to get off the couch, lose some weight, finish a race, live a healthy lifestyle, uh, I don't know that they need strength training, honestly. Um, if they're just more into endurance sports, then that's fine. If, if you're uh, if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you know I can tell you what we've done with Matt Pandola. Uh, he came into the project with us uh, at, in early 2021 um, uh, as part of the team here. So the team is Bobby McGee, Matt Pandola, and myself for Canute. I operate as the the head coach um, who oversees all the phases and and insertion of sessions. Uh, relative to Ben's needs and time of year and things. Pendola also works with me with Annie Fuller, uh, the, the young lady that we talked about. I'm working on her swim and rebuilding her body. Um, so with with Ben, it, Bobby's been very particular in looking at, okay, here's, here's uh, Ben's biomechanical analysis of him running. 
And what we notice is, hey, look at look at the way the foot lands. Look at look at the the toe off. Look at his the shin angle. Um, look at the restriction in his you know in his shoulders or in his in his hips. All these things. And and what we do is we identify areas where, uh, okay, it's these muscle groups then that are tight or that are weak that we have to address. And Ben is given protocols and programs that address all of those areas. And then what we also do, and Pendola is very much like me, um, just from a, as a strength coach. In fact, when I spent some time with him, I was laughing. I'm like, you do exactly what I do. You just do it with strength. And that is he has certain metrics and exercises that he believes an athlete should be able to obtain based upon their goals. <laughs> you know, So, hey, vertical jump. What does your vertical jump need to be? But not just your vertical jump, your ability to, to jump off land and, and get a vertical jump. What do you need? You know, what does that say about the elasticity of, of your muscles? Um, the ability to the bioelasticity to absorb and fire, you know, you know, absorb that, uh, tension and, and fire off it. Or, you know, Hey, you should be able to hold this movement for X amount of seconds, or you should be able to do whatever the movement requires. You should be able to do it to an effective level that he can measure. And so when, when he identifies, okay, these are the areas and muscles that we need to work on with Canute that will help his running, especially, or maybe even his bike fit or his bike power, then, then he, he chooses the exercises that identify that, that, you know, uh, focus on imp- improving those areas and measures and does measurements, uh, in some tests to see if those areas have actually improved. And then we also see it obviously in, Canute's run run improvements. Um, it's interesting. I was I was doing some some back uh, you know looking back historically with Canute, and his very first seventy point three was Puerto Rico in twenty seventeen, and he finished third behind Taylor Reed of Canada and Andy Potts. Um, he ran a one nineteen fifty six off that bike. It was a tough course. He just ran one eleven fifty six at St. George 70.3 worlds for the third fastest run split. Um, that's eight minutes in six years. That's over, that's 36 seconds per mile. Um, I don't know what that would be for per kilometer. What is it? 21. Yeah. Uh, 22, 23, maybe. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty significant when you think about it, but the, and those courses are probably pretty close in, 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 you know, in terms of how how difficult and challenging they were, because um, he's he's ran, you know, he's run some one twelves um, uh, as well. But his uh, his performance in St. George, especially relative to the competition, was was pretty impressive. Um, and it's amazing when when we watch the video from that race. Uh, just if I showed you video of him at St. George or or rather uh, Puerto Rico a number of years before that, <laughs> you'd, you'd be like, that's not even the same person, even Chattanooga. Um, you, you know, anybody who's wants to go on and just look at Chattanooga when he was out front, look at, look at his arm carriage. I mean, you just notice a huge difference in his arm carriage. It's like, that's taken a long time to build out and make sure that he was comfortable with it and, and focus. But, you know, strength training has been a lot to do with that because we've been able to change the, the quality of how his foot lands and he, and he springs it off the ground. Um, and that's come directly from, from changing strengths and turning, activating muscle groups that maybe he was, you know, 
that he had dormant through his stride, you know, not, not utilizing his glutes, not utilizing his hamstrings enough, things like his calves, things like that. So, so yeah, so that's, I think, I think strength planning, strength, strength training absolutely plays a role. And at, at least the higher your goals are, the further you go up the chain, the more you absolutely have to include it. Um, because you're just not going to, to sustain the gains, um, via, via swim, bike and run without it. And you're probably just going to actually over time develop more injuries because you're just making weaker areas continue to be weak and have to, you know, other muscles have to compensate more. So, uh, I, I am a big believer in it. Now I'll be honest. I, I don't have every athlete that I think still has pretty, pretty high goals. I don't have every single one of them strength training. Some of that's based upon timeline uh, to their goals, how much their goals change. Maybe they want to do a marathon one part of the year, a half marathon, and then a 70.3 or short course. I tend to find if you're changing a lot of training stimulus a lot, strength training probably, for at least for the average age grouper, isn't necessary uh, as often unless they've got some sort of historically weak um, area of their body that needs to be addressed. But um, but again, you know, if you're, if you're just, Hey, I'm just a weekend warrior. I really like to be healthy, have times, have time with my kids. And, and I'll tell you what, sometimes athletes don't like strength training. And if, as long as their goals aren't that high and, and they understand, Hey, maybe I'm not going to be the best I can possibly be, but all I want to do is just enjoy the sport. Well, we don't need to do stuff that they're not interested in doing that takes away their enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the example of Canute's strength training, is there was there anything predominant parts in his program with Matt more focused on, let's say, specific movements, uh, single leg exercises, and so on? Where, where, was there a focus on e uh, explosivity and reactivity, plyometrics, or was there a focus on heavy weights, or was it all included, periodized in in some way? Great question. Yes, there's absolutely a method to what we're trying to do. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, yeah, there's a lot of up and down in St. George, a lot of it. And actually in 2021, uh, when Canute got sixth there at the 70.3 Worlds, he was 82 seconds from third place. So we knew he was close and, and uh, we knew that we knew it was going to be a deep field. And we'd really tried to prepare him for the steep downhills there. There were some really steep. It was a lot steeper in 2021 than it was in 2022. Now, what it was more of a grind. And uh, when you were on the golf course, the grass plus the path, it was a lot more rolling, quick rollers, short. So a lot of change of pace work in 2022 compared to 2021. But we did a big eccentric muscle uh, contraction training phase just to prepare him for the eccentric load that, that he was going to face on the run in St. George. And amazingly, he finished that race in, in 2021 and was like, it definitely worked because I'm nowhere near as sore as I thought I would be. So that became a, uh, that became a big, uh, uh, you know, light bulb to us that, okay, yeah. Training for the course here really did work well. Um, there's obviously there are, there are times of the year where it's, um, it's a bit more, uh, plyometric, um, uh, just for sharpening, 
Um, but we also do a lot more just like we do. We'll look at training phases with everything. We're probably a little bit more, Hey, this is a big muscle group that we need to, to work on, or these are some smaller areas we need to work on that, uh, that really are the next low hanging fruit that we might prioritize through the winter in general, by the time the off season hits, Matt, Matt Pendola pretty much takes the head seat, the head chair. And he's, he's given the, what he needs to work on by Bobby. Um, and then I only write training that supports what Matt's trying to accomplish. Ben makes that the focus. And then we all agree on a timeline for when we'll start to switch that focus based on the race schedule, um, as that forms, uh, through, through the year, um, over the off season. It's been a little bit harder this year because so many races are being named a little later, but uh, we've we've kind of started. We've the switch has kind of been made, um, and it's been it's been cool to see. Yeah, yeah, we're talking on the fifteenth of February for the listeners, just to to get mm-hmm. some context here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, two more questions before the rapid fire questions. Uh, firstly, if you could give three pieces of advice to age groupers listening to this interview, you've given a lot of advice already, but uh, but yeah, I'll, three more pieces, or it can be repeating something you already said that you think is really important. Well, I think be honest about your goals and understand the higher they are, the more the work is going to be required. That's the first thing. Uh, the The other is uh, don't train according to peer pressure. I see so many athletes train according to peer pressure. Oh, well, everybody's doing the Tuesday night world championship ride. I have to go do that too. Everybody's doing the Sunday long run. I got to go do the Sunday long run with everybody. You don't. The you know, athletes need to look at what's what's their uh, what are their weaknesses, what's preventing them from achieving their own goals, and they need to focus on that. That's that to me is the is probably the biggest thing. And then do an assessment. Like, are you really coming to the start line healthy, happy, excited to race, and confident in your ability? If you're not, then your preparation needs to improve. That's really it. Yeah, that's great. And uh, then you mentioned working uh, with today's plan. And it's something that we talked about a bit in our email conversation leading up to this, that uh, it's something that has helped you in your coaching practice as well. Uh, so can you talk a little bit more about uh, that, how today's plan has fits in with your coaching and why you think that it has uh, had a, a role to play in, in improving that? Sure. So that's what I do for them is I help develop a lot of the tools that we, that we try to build for coaches and find out what, you know, what, what, what is the coach's IP? What makes that coach so special? You know, it's what we find is, you know, like, I, like me, I'm not a TSS coach. You're not going to find me using TSS to prescribe training. You're never like, I, I just don't do that. Um, so I'm more of my IP is more on what's the well being of the athlete. So we use a lot of subjective wellness tools in today's plan that I, I really like to use. Um, I, you know, I'm able to kind of see when, when workouts, make sure that workouts go well when they go well or when they're scheduled uh, and really be, be keen and clearly understanding that um, and making sure the system tells me that, uh, hey, this workout went well, this workout didn't. Here's how the athlete feels about it. You know, you should know that type of stuff. So these are all uh, these are all some of the tools that uh, that I've helped develop with them and and that I really enjoy and because I mean I think I think anybody who's listened to this so far has realized like I'm kind of known probably as a data guy but I'm very much about the mind and making sure that 
things are successful and data is the tool that I use, that's really, it's really it. This is the goal of the session. Here's what we're trying to improve. Those metrics have improved or not. If they have, great. That's perfect. Shows it's working. On to the next one. Check that box and move on. So that's that's kind of how it's fit in with me. And I'm just passionate because I, I love talking with coaches about their businesses too and seeing what, you know, what makes them them and why athletes have success under them and, and really helping them to understand, okay, well, you know, what is their, you know, that that's their IP and that's what makes them very good. And, you know, how can we support that and enhance that? So like it's done for me. Yeah. And I guess we should mention here for listeners not familiar, today's plan is a, a training platform similar to for example training peaks uh in case there's anybody not familiar with it uh and mm -hmm. uh, i will have the link in the show notes sure. then uh, the rapid fire questions uh take just one sentence to answer each of these and the first one is what's your favorite place to train well i live in san diego for a reason <laughs> so that's that's totally biased but outside of san diego i've really enjoyed uh, a tascadero san luis obispo that's a beautiful place out where they used to have wildflower triathlon. Um, that's some amazing riding is pools. It's, it's got everything you could want trails, uh, gravel racing or riding rather. If you're in a, into that, um, just, just incredible. Um, you know, Boulder has been great. I've really enjoyed, uh, Mallorca and Tenerife. Those are great, uh, spots, uh, just the Costa Brava of Spain, uh, has been wonderful at times too. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I always like just going around and seeing new places to train too. That's, that's great. But, uh, yeah, if people, if people haven't checked out any of those, uh, especially kind of that, that central coast of the California, that that's probably one of the, one of the places to, to definitely go check out. I've, I've okay. considered moving to San Luis Obispo because it's actually still a very cheap town. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, like I say, the riding is amazing there. Um, just with with everything it has the weather's actually still pretty good but uh yeah that's that's probably one of the places besides san diego right and uh, what is a bucket list race or event event that you would want to do uh i'm not getting to do it this this year but uh canute is and i'm going with him i'm super excited we're doing roth uh right yeah we're going up against uh, a hell of a field too i'm Yep. So excited. Um, no American has ever won that race. And with fields like this, I'm not surprised because <laughs> that is a tough field. But, uh, you know, like I say, Ben's Ben's excited uh, and he's just embracing challenges. And, uh, yeah, uh, we're so stoked. I mean, this, you know, the, the Ironman world's being moved, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a bummer. Uh, but, uh, you know, he had to, un unfortunately, he had to kind of uh, – uh, what is it that they gave him the opportunity to compete at nice but he deferred it to 2024 because nice is actually the weekend his brother is getting married so he's not going to be able to uh to compete obviously i think his family would disown him if he did an iron man <laughs> instead of the family wedding so uh so he's not going to be there for that but that really gave us the window to do to do roth and uh and because and really one of the longest builds probably in the world to Kona, which will be, uh, uh, you know, we got about two years. So, uh, learn a little bit at Roth and then take what we learn and tweak it so that, uh, Kona 2024, uh, can be, uh, hopefully a, uh, a great day for him. Yeah. It's exciting to have the top 
North American athletes coming over to Europe. And hopefully that's something that can continue to happen more and more and just mixing in general European athletes going over to North America and, and so on. Uh, Australia. I told, as well. I told him it was like Rocky going to train in Russia to fight Ivan Drago. Yeah. <laughs> Rocky <IV. laughs> Final question. If you could acquire expert level in any skill in the world in an instant, what would that be? Oh man. I think, you know, I think in, 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 in the any expert level in any skill in the world. So not just the sport. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, it could be anything. Oh, geez. Some people have said singing or uh, reading minds. Yeah, I mean, I think just psychology in general. I don't. I think reading minds would be like a superhero type of thing. Yeah, uh, that's more of a superhero <laughs> thing. It's, it's not exactly what I have in mind with the question. <laughs> yeah. No, I think just you know, I'm really big into studying psychology. Um, you know, I'm reading. I've I have this great book. I'm rereading it again. It's called Coaching Athletes Successfully, and it's about motivational interviewing with athletes and really getting them. It's it's the tools that uh, addiction therapists use for drug. Is is it coaching athletes to be their best? Is that the title? Yes, Yes, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's also that one on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have. Yeah. So it's it's all based on that. Man, and it is tough, but man, it is so worthwhile. It's no surprise that. Drug therapists are educated and trained be, to be able to do this and pull this and and things. And I'm just, I really, you know, I'm just really a believer that everything in, in our lives is mostly controlled by our perception in our mind. And if we can, if I can find ways to enable people to, to, you know, to, to embrace that power for good and, and their own good, then man, that's, that's a skill that, has a positive impact in the world that uh, has a positive impact on an individual level. And, you know, just, I think helps me, uh, you know, uh, feel good about my own existence. So, uh, yeah, that's, you know, I'm passionate about growth, uh, growth of athletes, growth of triathlon, growth of coaching, growth of technology, growth of just performance. I mean, I'm, I just, I love it. And uh, yeah. So, any types of skill that support me to be able to follow that passion, I think uh, I would I would die to have. Mm, yeah. Well, this has been great, Jim. Uh, where can listeners follow you if they want to keep uh, uh, track of what you're doing? Sure. Uh, CoachVance.com if people want to reach out to me or uh, even CoachJimVance at Gmail. On Instagram, I'm CoachJimVance. So I'm not a hard guy to find. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, Jim. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And sure. uh, yeah, hope that the listeners have enjoyed it too. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com with links to Jim's website, Instagram, and his books. A piece of housekeeping. Uh, in the next few days, I will be recording a Q&A on run training for triathlon. So if you have questions on this specific topic, send them to me on michael at scientifictriathlon.com. And that's Michael with a K. And I or we, if I have a co-host, will try to answer as many of them as possible. 
If you want to improve your triathlon performance or you want help to achieve your goals, then consider working with a scientific triathlon coach or training plan. Uh, we have worked with athletes at uh, lots of different levels in lots of different circumstances. Uh, so if you if you have goals that you want to help achieving, then you would be in good hands with one of our coaches uh, or even one of our training plans if, if coaching is out of your budget. Uh, find out more and contact us on scientifictriathlon.com and we can discuss your specific goals and needs and see what is best for you. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free fuel and hydration planner to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs, and get a specific and effective race strategy, and book a free video consultation with the team if you want to refine it further. Use the code TTS23 at checkout for 15% off your first order. And thank you to Zenate. Use the Zenate swim trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and swim training consistency. You can try the Zenate risk-free for up to 30 days and get the special uh, bundle including a swim trainer and a number of training plans and on-demand workouts on senatewtrainer.com for slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.